Hello and welcome. This is the Yoga Revolution podcast. My name is Jeevana Heyman. My pronouns are he and him. This podcast is an exploration of how we can live yoga right now and how we can apply the yoga teachings in our lives. We'll discuss the intersection of yoga and social justice, as well as how to build a practice that supports our activism. All my guests are contributors to my new book, Yoga Revolution, Building a Practice of Courage and Compassion. Thanks so much for joining me. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to uh, Yoga Revolution podcast. I'm so excited to have a special guest today, Mark Settembrino. Hey, Mark. Hey, Jeevana. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for being here. My pleasure. I've submitted final grades. My semester is over and I'm feeling a little bit more space and freedom in my life. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to hear more about that, actually, about your teaching. But I wanted to introduce you. um, Let's see. You're a fat queer educator, researcher and yoga facilitator based in Hammond, Louisiana. Uh, Mark envisions a world that celebrates diversity and promotes dignity. In 2018, Mark created Fat Kid Yoga Club, a a supportive yoga community for folks with larger bodies to explore joyful movement and celebrate what is possible in their bodies, one practice at a time. Fat Kid Yoga Club is a truly judgment-free zone where folks like Mark, who were always picked last or have experienced a lifetime of body shame, get to reconnect with their bodies and have fun at the same time. I love that. Do you like hearing that? How is it? I love hearing that. I was like, okay. man, I want to join Fat Kid Yoga Club. <laughs> oh, wait, <laughs> that's, that's my community. <laughs> well, you know, often we create what we need. So there you go. Yeah. I appreciate you doing that. Um, actually, maybe we could start there. I mean, well, I should say what I always have done in these podcasts is have you read your contributions. So maybe we could do that and then we could talk about Fat Kid Yoga Club. How yeah. About that? Yeah. Let's do myself. that. I've got it. Okay. Got it marked here. So, um, yeah. Practicing yoga asana empowered me to make peace with my body and understand that I am worthy of dignity, love, and acceptance just as I am. Today, most of my work as a yoga instructor centers on holding space for people in larger bodies to experience joyful movement and celebrate their bodies. Because fat bodies are objectified in our society, it's important for fat folks like me to reclaim our agency and bodies. We don't have these physical forms for very long, and you can't live fully if you're constantly waging war against your body. Yoga was my gateway into the fat liberation movement, so in a lot of ways, my yoga practice both created and sustains my activism. Thank you. I love that. Okay, there's so many things in there I want to talk about, but like I said, if you don't mind sharing more about... Uh, what you created, the community you created, because I think that's so exciting. And that's one of the themes, actually, in this section of my book is building community. Yeah, and I was rereading that chapter yesterday to kind of Uh prepare for our conversation today. Um, And so, yeah, Fat Kid Yoga Club um, is really something that I think you already hit on. Um, It's something that I needed to create uh, kind of for myself. Um, as, you know, someone in a larger body, um, to be able to have a space where I could go, where I know that, um, my, 
my body isn't being judged by other people in the room, that my body isn't being underestimated, that um, my body isn't being used as like a, a cautionary tale or as like inspiration for other people in the room. Um, one of the things you know that I, I say in my, my paragraph in the, in the section in the book is that fat bodies are objectified. And I think that that's something that um, we don't hear enough of right as so like being a fat person in the world um there's an element of being you know the the cautionary tale so we hear mm. so much about the quote unquote obesity epidemic and the the health risks of having a larger body etc um and so as a fat person you kind of lose yourself in that you become like this object that other mm. people use to mm. encourage others not to be like you. Um, mm. and at the same time, you can be like this motivation for others, right? Mm. So, you know, I've had experiences in fitness wellness spaces where people give me like these unwanted, unasked for like encouragement, like you're doing so great. It's you know, I see you here in the gym, yeah. um, you know, whenever I'm here and that just makes me want to work harder because <laughs> I see you're doing it. And it's like, I'm just, you know, at the gym mm -hmm. or I'm just walking around the park. I'm like, I'm not here for you. Right. Right. I'm, I'm trying to experience this world for myself. <laughs> um, right. And right. So, and, the, and wait, so say more about that. So like their comment is actually, first of all, they're centering themselves. Mm -hmm. That is what they're doing. Right. It's yeah. about them. Yeah. About them. Yeah. And like you keep saying cautionary tale. I think that's a really interesting phrase because it's like, you know, don't be like this or something. And it's like it's objectifying fat people. Yeah, yeah it's, it's entirely objectifying, you know, and some of my more recent academic research has been on um, the experiences of fat people while hiking. Um, mm -hmm. And so I've had experiences where, you know, people say things like, oh, you know, if you even family, you know, like being at being around family and, and hearing someone say to one of my nephews, oh, you know, don't eat so much or you'll be like, you'll be like Uncle Mark or something like that. Right. Oh, and wow. it, like wow. sort of like your body becomes this don't be like mm -hmm. that. Um, and it's one thing when it's happening from family, that's a really messed up situation. And then I've also, from the people that I've, I've talked to in my research, people have had experiences where they're out hiking on the trail and a family will be like, see, if you eat too much pizza, you'll look like them, mm -hmm. right? Or if you eat too much pizza, then you won't be able to, you know, hike as much because you'll be too big. Um, and so I don't want to mm -hmm. get, get off on that too much, um, but yeah, there's this sense of, you know, as a fat person, not really having full control over your body. It's always something that is being policed. Um, you know, when you go to the doctor, the first thing they want to do is weigh you um, and then, you know, usually comment on your, your weight. And so yeah. um, other folks have, <laughs> have spoken a lot about that experience. Yeah being fat and and constantly having to apologize for your body to get out of uh, get out of other people's way to um mm. yeah really just manage your body um 
to make other people feel more comfortable. Um, And so you, you lose yourself and you lose your, um, your, your, your body in that process. And so for me, asana has like, it made me get back in touch with my body. Um, it wasn't easy. Mm. (laughs) It was really, really a struggle. Um, Mm. and now so much of what I try to do is just hold space for people like me to just be able to move their body, to experience their body in a way that is not attached to shame, that gives them the freedom to move, to be without feeling as if someone is watching them or expecting them to look a certain way. Right. Um, that's what I need. That's what I needed. And so I wanted to create that space. Right. And actually, could you talk about the word fat because I think a lot of people have a reaction to that even they're just not comfortable using that as a descriptive term yeah yeah um and it's it's a it's a challenging word um even for myself it's something that I'm still still working on um you know in our society uh the word fat is an insult right like if you call someone fat um it's really rude um (laughs) you don't want to but like it's a it's a really negative thing, um, and so we've created a lot of different euphemisms to describe fatness. Um, but for me, using the word fat is is sort of a reclamation project in the same way that I use the word queer of saying that right. yes, I do have I do have fat on my body, and um, fat is not a moral thing, right? Like there's no moral righteousness or or moral wrongness of mm-hmm. having fat on your body. It's actually something that we all need to survive. If you didn't have fat on your body, you you wouldn't be able to survive. And so um, I happen to have more fat on my body than other people. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's it hasn't been easy. Um, you know, the world has, has told me for a long time that I should shrink my body, that I should hide my body, that I should do anything in my power to demonstrate uh, that I'm a, a good person by making my body smaller. Um, and I'm at a place right now where in my life, I'm, I'm not willing to do that anymore. And I'm not, I'm not willing to be insulted by the word fat. And so people in my life, you know, I still get, Oh, but you're not, you're not fat. And I'm like, it's not an insult, right? It's like, yes, Mm -hmm. I am. I am fat. Um, and the word makes folks uncomfortable. It makes other people in larger bodies uncomfortable, right? So there, I'm sure there are people who um, would love to practice with me, but because of the word fat or because I call my community Fat Kid Yoga Club, they maybe are uncomfortable with that. Um, And so I I get that, I I hear that. And also, um, you know, I'm, I'm creating a fat liberated space. And so by calling Fat Kid Yoga Club what I call it, um, it sort of signals to folks that this is, this is what's happening here. At least that's my intention. That's what I hope I'm signaling to people is that this is, um, perhaps, a, a brave space for people in larger bodies to reconnect. Thank you for explaining that. I, I think that's so helpful. I actually saw, I saw an ad actually this morning for like a big yoga ashram, um, offering, they're calling it like an approach to healthy weight. And I'm like, the yogic approach to healthy weight, and they even use the word like, we'll be doing accessible yoga. And I was just like, you know what? 
an approach to healthy weight is just like another word for dieting. And I just, I found it really offensive. The way that, you know, yoga still embraces diet culture is so scary. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's not surprising, I suppose, since, you know, so much of, um, American yoga, I think that's a good way to describe it, right? Like American yeah. yoga has been influenced by gym culture, right? Yeah. And this idea of, you know, maintaining a healthy body, whatever that is. And I think, Jivana, you speak to that question quite a bit, right? In terms of like, if our goal is health, then we all fail in the end, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. Like it, it's, it's, and, and so it's like healthism is, is, tied to anti-fatness is tied to um ableism right is tied to ageism and so it, and and all of it gets tied back to white supremacy in the right. end right and right. and can it, so healthism is like the idea that health is the most important thing right is it it's an yeah, obsession health, with that is that health what? is the most important thing right and so i just got an email the other day that um my university is starting this new faculty wellness um initiative in the spring semester. And part of it is that we're gonna learn how to develop healthy eating habits and learn how to cultivate mindfulness and wellness so that we'll be less stressed and better able to do our jobs. Um, and it's like, well, honestly, if you really wanna know how to like give people better health and well being, it's like, for, and this is across the board, I'm a sociologist too. So, like, yeah. People who have who have money, who have stable um, housing, and who have access to healthcare, yeah, have better health outcomes. Like <laughs> like those those are the things that we know. And so like how do we um, how do we if you truly want a healthy society, it's not about demonizing fat people, right? It's about making sure that people have money, making sure that people have housing, making sure that yeah. people can go to the doctor when they need to. Right. Um, and also like providing people with the food that they need. Right. And, and so there's it's more than just saying don't be fat. Don't and I think fat. that yeah. capitalism yeah. wants us to be afraid. Yes. And also, I think one of the ways capitalism works that is really insidious is that it creates a problem. It creates a lack of resources for some people, like you explained, and then somehow puts the responsibility back on the individual to repair or fix that scenario. So often mindfulness is being used, like you said, for like personal self-care. And so you're a better worker, but really that's, there's issues that are community-wide that need to be addressed. And yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think yeah. where I read it. Um, yeah. It might've been in the, oh, and I can't think of the author. There's a book called McMindfulness that came out in the last oh, couple yeah. of years. Yeah, that's Ronald Purser. Yeah. Ronald Purser. Yeah, I think in there, he's got this great quote about how mindfulness has become the religion of capitalism right, right? um and so yeah. uh, it's it's kind of an interesting um argument it's, yeah it's well this is a, a kind of a parallel process that i've been reflecting on is with environmental degradation and the climate disaster that we're finding ourselves in mm -hmm. is there's research that says that um the gas and oil companies knew what was happening i mean they really knew what was going to happen and what they were creating but rather than taking the blame, they actually shifted the blame to individual responsibility and made people think like you can make little changes in your life to make this go away, right? To repair climate change. But actually 
it's so much bigger than that. Like it's really, it has to be happening on the level of these giant organizations, these corporations actually, mm -hmm. and governments. They're the ones who can make the change. Yeah. Right? Um, I, I hate to go too, too deep into sociological <laughs> theory on you, but yes. one of the things that I've been thinking about lately is, um, and it, it's not a sociologist, and some, some of the listeners may be familiar with the work of uh, Marcuse. Um, he was a critical theorist, and he gives us this theory of the one-dimensional man. Um, and so his critique of capitalism is that it sort of creates this one-dimensionalness in our, our experience of the world where we are compelled to work, right? So under capitalism, everything that we need to survive, it exists. There's enough food and housing and everything. There's enough resources for everybody to have what we need. Right. Um, but capitalists need us to work. And so they hold that from us. And the only way we can get it is if we work. Mm -hmm. And so we work for the things that we need to survive food, housing, medicine, shelter, those things. Um, but that's not enough for the capitalists. Right. And so they convince us that we also need to consume. And so they create what are called false needs, right? <laughs> these things that we think that we need in order to be happy, right? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to see how that's happened sort of within what we might even describe as like um, the sustainability industry, right? Where there's a lot of things that like we're told as individuals, like if we consume in a certain way, if you have, you know, the, 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 the reusable water bottle, right? Like, yeah. and then it becomes a thing of like, how many reusable water bottles do you end up buying? Right. <laughs> and then like, how many people are like putting their brand on the reusable water bottle? And so like, it's really interesting to see how this capitalist system compels us to consume, to get our identities. And that's something I've been thinking about really in, re in relationship to my yoga practice and how much yeah. I've consumed mm -hmm. to practice yoga, to become a yoga teacher. Like when I, right. and so one of the things that I've been doing, this is a, an aside, I apologize, is I've been like inventorying all the things that I have purchased mm -hmm. um, that are yoga related. Interesting. Which are really, none of them are yoga related if we think about it, right? Right. Um, but yeah, I've got, I've spent a lot of money in my life. Uh -huh. That's interesting. And trainings to, and stuff. Trainings are, trainings, I'm, I'm leaving trainings off the list. Um, but I'm thinking like these material goods that I have um, mm. to demonstrate that I'm a yoga teacher or that, or to, that I believed would support my practice in some way. But right. maybe. Well, I mean, I, I love that idea. I mean, <laughs> going back to capitalism, though, about how we've been trained to think this way and that that's a lot of what my book is based on actually this kind of when i when i the title yoga revolution i mean refers to that exact concept that yoga is a completely different philosophy than that it's it's yeah. it's the reverse mm -hmm. saying that we actually have everything we need inside you know we have what we're seeking that we are full and i think capitalism begins with the premise that we're empty <laughs> or that we're needing and so I think if yoga is practiced in alignment with the traditional teachings, it can be revolutionary in that, you know, helping people have, find that power, the resources within them. And also it's not only 
that yoga and capitalism are opposed, but also the way yoga is being taught in the West is more with a capitalist, you know, sensibility rather than with like, rather than alignment with these actual teachings, right? Which say that because the whole idea of like someone else holding power over you, like a, a teacher mm-hmm. who then abuses you or, or manipulates you in some way is not in alignment with yoga teaching. So mm-hmm. I think uh, yoga celebrity, that too, that's been, you know, that's how we do it in the West. It's like the yoga gurus in the West are the yoga celebrities. Um, and that's misaligned. So I feel like we need to go back to what yoga is. Any spirituality really should be about giving people connection to their source, to their power. And I think that's just so important, right? For all of us. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for people who are um, told that they are somehow wrong. And so I think that's where there's a lot of opportunity for marginalized people to um experience themselves in a way that we've never experienced ourselves before right um and so like as a fat queer person when i'm on my mat practicing or when i'm seated in meditation which my practice these days looks more like meditation than anything on a mat um it gives me a chance to just kind of be right and yeah. and that's that's the goal right like that's what we're we're working towards yeah um and I, I think that that's been extremely important for me. And I really just want to hold space for other people to be able to do that. And, you know, capitalism makes it hard mm-hmm. in that it's like, well, how do, how do we even get to do that? Right. Like I, um, yeah. part of this thing of like looking at all of the money that I've, I've spent has even been like, you know, the pandemic happened and then suddenly I had a zoom account and, um, I had to, I, I built a new website platform to be able to host fat kid yoga club on. And, and that's, mm. um, you know, so I could store videos of practices that we had, I needed to like pay now for additional mm. storage and all of this stuff. Right. And it's yeah. like, what, what am I holding on to? Um, mm. you know, this practice is so ephemeral, right. Um, mm. does it need to be? recorded and put on a website forever i don't know right, right? <laughs> yeah. um i like that well i love the way you question these things i think that's awesome i mean i i get upset about the way that yoga mats in particular are equated with practice you know that's incredibly frustrating to me yeah i mean the, the yoga mat is a relatively new invention and um you know <laughs> it's it's basically a piece of plastic and it's like that makes you into a yoga practitioner if you carry that around or you have it in your house and i mean there's it's a tool like there's many tools in yoga that we can use and it's a it's a good it's a prop that you might need sometimes but other times might not and i remember um working with people i had a student who used a wheelchair and she wanted to use a yoga mat and have her mat on the chair but it was so impossible because her the wheel the rubber wheels of her wheelchair would stick to the mat and just create this like impossible situation that was dangerous actually so i mean sometimes it's not helpful i guess is what yeah. i'm saying and it doesn't mean you're a yoga practitioner or not you know to have a yoga mat. no and and there's probably a lot of people with yoga mats in their closets that they haven't touched <laughs> in years right um and yeah. 
that's okay, right? Like they may or may not be a yoga practitioner, um, depending on where <laughs> the, the right. mat does not make you a yoga practitioner. And I think no. that's really important too. And, you know, thinking about yoga mats, right? So yoga mats are, are a problem for people in larger bodies. Um, mm-hmm. My body does not fit on a traditional yoga mat. Right. Um, and so because of that, I, and this brings us back to consumption, I have to buy an extra wide yoga mat, yeah. which I'm then charged more for, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I can't just go into, um, a, they're not available in a store, so I have to order it from somewhere else. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's <laughs> it, yeah. it the the mat it, the mat is is really problematic in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think someone should write about that. Maybe you should. Yeah. Uh, I think the yoga mat really represents the problem of Western yoga in that, like, assigning this specific amount of space, right? Like, here is your space, and yeah. it's on the floor. So, like, I love what you're saying about the size of your body. It has to, like, fit within this space, but also it has to be on the floor. And so, like I said, someone uses a wheelchair or someone practicing in a chair, it's like, well, I'm not really a yoga practitioner unless I have a mat. Also, like in bed yoga, I tried to find ways to incorporate mats to make people feel like they were doing yoga, but it's like not necessary at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and speaking to the floor as well, there's like, yeah. I felt before in, in yoga spaces that there was some sort of like moralism around the ability to sit on the floor yes. and to be able to sit on the floor comfortably for a long period of time. So I can think back to you know, trainings or workshops that I've been in where everybody is sitting on the floor and there's this expectation that that's what you should be able to do. And um, that's not, (laughs) your your dignity as a human being is not tied to your ability to sit on the floor, right? No. Um, And we shouldn't be creating spaces that even imply that that's the case, right? Yeah. Um, right. I mean, why is sitting on the floor better than sitting in a chair? Like, what is the, you know, it, it's really, a, it's a problem. And a lot of yoga places really demand that. They meant not only that you sit on the floor, but that you're able to get up and down from the floor mm-hmm. readily. And it excludes a tremendously large number of people from the practice for no reason at all. Yeah. 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 That's why I, I love think- chair, chair yoga, honestly, just because I think it's much more, uh, it's much more accessible and democratic to practice in the place that people can access. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's actually been one of the great things about teaching um, online on zoom is that I went from a studio where there may be chairs available. And occasionally I would like say, we're all starting in a chair. Right. And I would get some grimaces from people and, and folks would tell me after practice, like, oh, I really didn't want to start sitting in the chair. It didn't really feel like yoga. Um, But now, like practicing at live on Zoom, a lot of people are in their living room or they're they're in a space where there is somewhere else to sit. And so it gives me a lot of opportunity to like just gently cue. You could do this sitting on your couch as well, or it might be nice like if you want to rest and take a seat. And I see people choosing that option because they're in a space where perhaps they feel more comfortable. It's their house. They maybe don't feel like they're being judged by others in the room. Right. right? Um, because even I find myself sometimes when I'm in a, in a studio class, 
I'll push myself a little bit more oh, yeah. and I'm wondering who am I pushing myself for? Me too. It's, right? it's human nature. It's human nature. And I think that's really the downside to group classes, in-person classes, right? It's competition. I mean, there can be a fun inspirational part of competition, but there's a really dangerous side, yeah. right? Which is not listening to yourself. I, I love online yoga. I think it's yeah. more accessible and I feel like, well, first of all, you don't have to get over that whole thing of like walking into or going into a yoga studio that might feel like an unsafe space, you know, that's yeah. not designed for you. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that, that is a reality, right? I've, I've talked about that and, and written about that before where, you know, I, I almost shamed myself out of the room, right? When I first started practicing yoga, I was usually the largest person in the room and, and I had a lot of baggage around that and yeah. You know, like, I don't belong here. Like, and, and I actually would test, I would like message a studio and, and be like, hey, this is who I am. Mm. You know, would it be, would it be good for me to take a class? What do you recommend? Right? Like I had to yeah. do this extra work. Yeah. Um, to feel to like. To see if you would be safe. Like, is yeah, this going to be a safe, be safe space for me? Um, yeah. And that's, um, that's, that's really sad that's unfortunate right it makes me yeah. sad when i think back on on having to have done that yeah so i i follow you you know for a long time also and i see how um i mean i see your activism and how clear you are about what's happening what what's going wrong in yoga and i and i just i want to like ask about that like how it feels yeah. to be in like an activist in the yoga community and if you feel i don't know if it gets tiring if you feel yeah, I don't know what your feelings are about that. And, and I guess I would I would frame it in the context of kind of spiritual bypassing and the way that like Western yoga kind of makes everything our own fault, you know, like we talked about earlier. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, you know, I will say, and I've, I've mentioned this in a few other places lately, and, and I've been like kind of absent from Instagram lately. Um, yeah. And it's because I'm, I think... I'm not, I don't think I am feeling a little bit of burnout um, because, you know, the, the world has been on fire. I mean, the world's been on fire for a long time, but the last, you know, two years, we've really been in, in a real state of like constant crisis. Mm -hmm. um, the state that I live in, in Louisiana, politics here are, are wild enough. Last year we had four hurricanes. This year we had Hurricane Ida, which really just has been really difficult and hard for a lot of people. Um, and then on top of it, you know, it's like yoga for me sometimes was like an escape. Right. And I think a lot of people in the, in the U S use yoga as an escape. And for me, especially, you know, when life is really stressful, it's nice to um, mm. have a place where you can find that quiet Um and then when like my activism started bleeding into yoga land, there was like more to be frustrated with and more to point out. And mm -hmm. um, I think on Instagram as well, there's even like a, because of the, the speed that in that social media moves with, yeah. it feels like there's a constant, like having to keep up with, Right. And if you're not on the latest um, collective, you know, movement, then you're behind. Um, mm. 
kind of like if <laughs> if you're taking a group class, right? Like, you know, yeah. so I'm, I'm I guess yeah. I'm taking my child's pose right now with Instagram and trying to figure uh-huh. out do I fit in all of this, right? Um, and what right. do I have the capacity for? Um, and so it's been interesting, um, you know, being someone who can identify and articulate some of the problems in yoga land and also, and I'm sure others perhaps maybe feel this way. It can get tiring of being, you know, the person that, um, is doing Mm. that, (laughs) right? Like, like I would love to just be able to, um, practice yoga and not have it be problematic. And yeah. 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 Well, I like that, that comparison to, social media is like a group yoga class. And I think, yeah, it's like, you can also just have your home practice. That's not public and not about that. Right. You can have your own internal practices. Um, we need that, you know, we need that internal practice and it is social media is exhausting. It's, it's draining. I mean, I, I actually try to limit my exposure on there in a way, like in terms of how much I share, I mean, I'm doing more now, but I really, I don't say this much, but I'll say that I don't feel like I'm sharing all of myself there. Do you know what I mean? It's like, just like when I'm teaching a class, you know, I've learned when I'm a teacher, like there's some things that I need to share and some things I don't share when I'm teaching that are just like my personal stuff. It's not the right environment for that. So I think of social media for me as like a teaching platform. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that, that has been, um, my approach as well. Mm-hmm. And also it, it, you know, I try to be vulnerable and authentic and like, you know, right. it's, you see some accounts that are very clearly like there's someone behind the scenes managing everything that's happening. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's not me at all. You know, I will, I will definitely share what I'm thinking, share what I'm feeling, um, and be open. Um, but after a while, I j- I've just like gotten to this place of, you know, what am I, what am I, re- and this is the question I've been asking myself literally all week long is like, you know, who am I <laughs> and what am I doing? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's a question that, you know, I think all of us struggle with at some point. Well, um, I mean, that's, that's the best question. That's, that's the that's yoga to me. Yeah. That's like actually yoga more than anything else to ask yourself. That question is yeah. the heart of this practice. All day long. Um, All day long. And it, it's been a struggle for me kind of balancing you. You mentioned, I've mentioned that I'm a university professor as well. Um, and it's been hard for me to balance those two because um, I've felt like I, I can't, I can't share my yoga with the university and vice versa in really strange ways because of different rules and policies. And so it's like, I've had Mm -hmm. to create like Mark, the yoga instructor and Mark, the sociology professor and Mm -hmm. having that bifurcation really is not, um, I don't think healthy for anyone (laughs) to like, well, I'm a Gemini, so <laughs> I, I don't mind that kind of thing. But um, but I just want to say that I, I don't know if it's healthy or not, but I would just say what I see you doing, though, is 
bringing some of that awareness through your sociology work and research and kind of like a different consciousness to yoga. And I think that's really important. So I'm, I'm grateful for what you do and I, and I hope you'll stick with that and continue to combine them. I think that's such a, it's a beautiful combination actually, I think to me. Yeah. Yeah. Behind the scenes, I, I feel it and I see it and I can be like, this is how these things perfectly complement one another. Mm -hmm. I just haven't figured out how to, yeah how to feel comfortable doing it publicly yet you know right. and i think that's 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 the challenge right like so that's when yeah. i why i'm asking myself well who are you and what are you doing right yeah uh, what is it that you're you're offering the world um and how is it helpful how is it how is it going to be beneficial um well what you've said today is helpful this idea of this kind of a sociological analysis of the yoga world is incredibly helpful and it makes me think of Melanie Klein. I don't know if you know her work. Melanie Klein, um, yeah, yoga, yeah. Yoga and Body Image Coalition, which really comes out of sociology, I think, as well. And I think yeah. the work she's done is like that. It's just to kind of shine a light on uh, this in a way that I think sociology does really well. Like, how do we interact with each other and the cultures that we create and the way that yoga has manifested in the West and maybe more than manifested. <laughs> yeah, I, and and I I'm I'm not yeah. the first person to be connecting these dots, right? Kimberly yeah. Dock is also doing yeah, it's Kimberly period, right? And so it's it's like, um, yeah, it's 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 fun to ponder. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate that about you. Um, you know, I just I wonder if. Um, I don't know if this is fair, but part of what I see, I see some righteous anger in your work. And that is something I, I just was curious if you could talk about that. I feel like I see you getting, sharing frustration with yoga. Yeah. I just wonder how you, how do you respond to that? Cause I try to address that a little bit in the book and it's, it's a hard one. I think people have such a reaction to anger as not yoga. Um, and I think that to become integrated, which is where I hear you, when I hear you talking about like becoming an integrated spiritual human, um, you know, is to embrace all parts of ourselves. And I just, I'm curious what you feel about that, about anger. Yeah. Anger is a, you know, really powerful emotion. And I think culturally uh, we're afraid of, of anger. Um, and, you know, with my, my sociologist hat, I could probably say that it, it's probably tied into, you know, white supremacy and wanting to control people. Um, yeah. And so anger um, is something to be feared. Anger is something to be dismissed. Um, and, you know, angry people, you know, um, are, taken less seriously um, in our society. You know, there's this idea of like, well, you should be able to control your emotions and, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to exist as a person um, and constantly be told that you're wrong. Yeah. But especially <laughs> in, in spiritual communities, in like spirit- I feel like it's even worse. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Goodness, isn't like, I hope I don't offend anyone with this. Um, Like, when I think of like, 
evangelical Christianity, mm. there's so much emphasis on like controlling one's emotions and, and not being angry. And so to some degree, I wonder like how much that bleeds, you know, the, the evangelicalness of, mm. of the United States, how much that bleeds into to spiritual community, yoga communities. Yeah. Um, I think that there's something there that we haven't really acknowledged yet. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, because I think if, to me, part of yoga, like the key practice of yoga is ahimsa, non-harm, which is more than non-harm. It's actually not wanting other people to suffer. I mean, it's like, you know, wanting to there to be less suffering in the world to me is an aspect of ahimsa. And I know that um, I have a quote, actually, I don't know if I can read it to you from Gandhi that I share in the book. I mean, Gandhi is a slightly problematic figure, but I think he also does represent this movement of spiritual practices, especially yoga being used for political transformation and revolution. Um, he says, let's say, use your anger for good. Anger to people is like gas to the automobile. It fuels you to move forward and to get to a better place. Without it, we would not be motivated to rise to a challenge. It's an energy that compels us to define what is just and unjust. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, and I think for me, a big part of it is figuring out, you know, how do I let that anger motivate me in a way that is going to be beneficial, right? In a way yeah. that is going to um, improve my circumstances or the circumstances of other people around me, right? Um, and so that can be that can be a challenge, right? And I guess that's that's part of the big practice as well, right? Is that things are going to happen um, that do make you angry. Mm -hmm. um, and so how do you respond to that anger? Um, for me, it's always been, you know, I, I, I find a way to express it and communicate it. But that's usually where that's I awesome. go, right? With my anger is, yeah. is how do I express what has happened and why it's wrong and how we can not have this problem happen again. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I wonder if there's anything else you wanted to share. Hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've also been, been kind of sitting with lately is that, you know, it can be, and, and this is kind of informed by um, a dear friend of mine, uh, Zell, um, who they were talking about how, you know, um, activism, being an activist, is can in and of itself be exhausting. Um, and it implies that we're sort of constantly going to be on this treadmill um, in some ways, it Im implies that we're we're going to be delayed gratitude or on a lot of things, right? That we're not we're not going to get that gratification, not gratitude. Um, you know that there's there's something that we're struggling for, and and being in this this fight is righteous and what we need to be in, and um, that that can begin to pull us away 
right? Um, and it can can cause harm <laughs> to ourselves. It can cause harm to other people around us. And so it's it's something that I'm really trying to figure out for myself. Um, and I've been a little bit more internal. I've been a little bit more in a place of, of wanting to reflect. And while I'm doing that, I've also been feeling maybe a little bit like I'm not enough because I'm seeing other people around me who are still fighting, still pushing forward in their activism. And so I think it's, it's important to name that it's, it's okay to take, take breaks and take time to rest and to um, care for yourself. Um, because, you know, um, burnout is burnout is real. Burnout is real among activists. Uh, there are a lot of activists that talk about, you know, how that burnout creeps up on you. Um, and take care of yourself. And, and it's not a race. It's not a competition. Like, you know, um, ask your, ask yourself, is this time for, for you to, to go within and, and sort of think about what it looks like to emerge new? I think that's. Well, I, I love that. I mean, the whole concept of self-care was created by black women activists and like during the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. to care to care for themselves to have energy for the fight yeah. and i think self-care has been um commodified and appropriated so i do try to talk about that in the book that it's like to me there's a i would say there's a spectrum between self-care and service and it's like if you have if you feel exhausted if you have trauma if you have a marginalized identity of any kind like you just can spend all the time you want like caring for yourself but if you have privilege and power then you have a responsibility to use that for good to actually serve others. Um, and so I feel like, and it can change every day, obviously, where you are in that spectrum, but you know what I mean? Like, I think self-care is just service to yourself. And so yoga is just like that to me. It's like looking at where can I put my energy today? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a big question that we all deserve to ask ourselves. Um, and it would be, amazing if we lived in a society that allowed us to ask that question, right? <laughs> like, where, where do I, where yeah. do I want or need to put my energy today? Um, yeah. What's going to make me feel like a fulfilled um, human being? I think there's just this, our yes, uh, suffering exists, but, and this goes back to the idea of like spiritual bypassing, right? Is that like, um, so much of the suffering that exists in our society is external. It's, it's things that we as human beings created, um, to, um, dominate and control other people. And so if you are feeling tired, burnt out, stressed, it's understandable. There's, there's literally nothing wrong with you in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's hard to sit with that, knowing that we live in yeah. this, this, bro it's not broken, living in this really alienating, dehumanizing system. And mm -hmm. so I just spend a lot of time trying to think of how do we change it? What does, what does this, what would it look like to live in a society that um, provided for everyone as they needed and allowed each of us to have our agency to be able to go about asking that question, you know, 
Where do I want to put my energy today? How do I want to do that? That world is possible. That's beautiful. I mean, I, I love that. And I, I think it's, it's essential that we all spend time reflecting on that. So thanks for that. That's a, maybe we could end on that note. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks for talking with me and for sharing with all of us. Thank you, Thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, putting together Yoga Revolution. It's been it's just such an amazing constellation of, of humans doing amazing work. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful contribution. So thank you, Jeeva. Oh, thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks so much for listening and joining the conversation. Yoga is truly a revolutionary practice. Thanks for being here. If you haven't already, I would love for you to read my book, Yoga Revolution, Building a Practice of Courage and Compassion. It's available wherever books are sold. Also, you can check out my website, jivanaheyman.com. There's some free classes on there and a meditation. And you can find out more about my upcoming trainings and other programs. Hope to see you next time. Thanks. Bye.